The Last Throw by Aluzio Azevedo. Translated from the Portuguese by Joseph E. Agin. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Dale Grothman. The Last Throw by Aluzio Azevedo. Ten Louis. They were all he had left. These few coins were all that remained of a large, famous fortune that had been handed down a line of noble ancestors to him, the last of his family. Ten Louis. Dom Felipe jingled the glittering gold pieces in his hand as he walked slowly toward the spot where half an hour before he had abandoned the roulette. Leaning against the back of his still vacant chair, he glanced down at the green table with cold, indifferent eyes. The numbers were buried in the gold and silver of other players. He remained motionless for a long time and stared with unseeing eyes at the silver wheel. His senses were concentrated on a single thought that burned in his brain. He must recover that squandered fortune, or at least a part of it. With a hundred thousand francs, a mere hundred thousand, he could save himself the disgrace of ruin. With a hundred thousand francs, he would hasten to Paris and pay his debts of honor. Then, under some pretext or other, possibly that of health, he would pretend a trip to Switzerland and sail for America with what money he had left. In America, fortunes were contagious. One discovered fabulous dowries. If he were finally obliged to work, he would work. He did not know what work he would do, but the new world swam before his credulous eyes in a golden haze. No definite plan or idea accompanied this hope. He believed in America, as he believed in cards or the roulette. It was a gambler's last hope. It was a blind leap in the dark. Would not America also be a green table piled high with California gold? It was a card flung in a last desperate play he would go and afterwards how fine it would be to return to europe many times a millionaire and still young to revel unrestrained while these air castles mounted higher and higher in his feverish imagination the wheel spun swiftly and silently and heaps of gold and silver poured along the table before his distracted eyes but if I should lose, he asked himself, he dare not imagine the situation that this question's answer would make inevitable. He felt that he had compromised his honor by the very thought. Nevertheless, if he lost that miserable handful of coins, what remained for him but suicide? What remained for him in this world if it were not ridicule and humiliation? He saw himself penniless, creeping like a shadow through the dark streets, his head on his breast, his hands plunged into his pockets, fleeing from the sight of everyone, and conscious that his abject misery made him as abhorrent as though he had a contagious disease. A cold sweat oozed over his skin, and he shivered. Cowardly means of salvation that stole into his distracted mind, recalling rich friends, and questionable resources 
were repelled instantly by his pride, which still remained unbroken. Fate vast you, messieurs, cried the banker. Dom Philippe smiled a sad, resigned smile, as if in response to the inner voice that appealed to his courage, and after shaking the ten gold pieces once more, he opened his delicate, useless hand, and with an air haughtier and more indifferent than ever, threw them on the red section, which was nearest him. Rien ne va plus. A vertigo threatened his feigned calm. The small ivory sphere sprang from the banker's dexterous fingers and whirled around the top of the bowl. The silence of death reigned in the room. If on that throw, instead of red, black should come up, the wretched gambler reflected, any beggar on the streets would be richer than he. The ball began to slacken its speed and hovered above the circle of numbers ready to fall. The noble slid into a chair and rested his head in his rigid, bloodless hands. The ball dropped. Red. Dom Philippe's ten louis became twenty. He made not the slightest gesture, but awaited the next throw apparently indifferent. The table was swept clean and covered again with glittering stakes. The banker closed the bets. The ball shot out. Fell. Red again. Dom Philippe did not remove his hands from his face. On his twenty louis were placed another twenty. The game continued in silence. In the midst of the mute anguish that reigned in the hearts of all who played, a third red number doubled the stakes of Dom Philippe, who continued immobile as stone. Nonetheless, so pronounced was the rise and fall of his breast that his whole body accompanied the pulsation of his heart. Red. Eighty louis were poured upon the eighty in front of the silent player. Red. The gold began to form a heap. Red again. The pile of gold was on a towering level with the enigmatic face which gradually retreated behind those two white hands with their delicately traced blue veins. Red still. That imperturbable face now seemed petrified. Behind the stiff, thin fingers, he seemed to be laughing sardonically at the other players. The immobility and the luck of this singular companion in vice again attracted attention. Red. By this time, the other men and women could not take their eyes from that mysterious individual whose face none of them had recognized yet so absorbed had each been in his own game red red the mountain of gold kept rising and rising before those two hands that seemed each moment whiter stiffer more firmly planted against the unknown gambler's face red 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 the coins crept under his arms fell to his lap through his legs and rolled across the floor with a ringing sound. Red. The others abandoned their own games to watch this remarkable player, hoping that the two marble hands would be lowered, that the mocking mask would fall, revealing his identity. Each throw doubled the wealth filed before this death-like figure. In vain a beautiful sobriquet at his aid leaned against him suggestively. 
In vain did a group of women form behind his chair, talking loudly, and betting at each new lucky throw whether or not he would stake everything again. Now, when Red was announced by the banker's tremulous voice, a roar of astonishment would rise in the room. A timpan clamored continuously for attention and order, but the comments redoubled about that mute statue. Some protested against his impertinent madness, begging for a black number as deserved punishment. Others applauded him enthusiastically, and shouted bravo at each turn of the wheel. Still others calculated the accumulated gold by counting the plays. Each time the ball dropped, there rose a chorus of conflicting emotions, of approval and disappointment. Finally, the banker, pale and trembling, swayed against the edge of the table and moaned in a despairing voice of a drowning shipwrecked sailor, The bank has gone to glory. But not even then did the mysterious player make the slightest gesture, although around him gathered the curious debauchers of both sexes and all nations, forming a nosy, tempestuous wall. They shouted at him from all sides, in all languages, and in all tones. He did not move. They tapped his shoulders. They touched his head. To no avail. They shook his chair. The statue remained motionless. Then two men, each taking one of the noble's hands, tore them away from his face, and a third raised his head, which was sunken on his breast. A cry of horror rose from the onlookers. He who had broken the bank and played in silence all night, enticed by the women and envied by the men, was a frozen corpse with wide staring eyes, half-open mouth, and on his stiffened cheeks two silent tears. The three men drew back in terror, and the dead gambler fell against the table burying his face and hands in the gold, as if to defend his gains against the greed of the surviving players, who were already protesting in loud voices against the legitimacy of his possession. The End of The Last Throw by Aluzio Azevedo